Maccabees uh, to the faith. So awesome. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, Robert. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, Robert. And uh, as we begin our time for this baby dedication, I just want to affirm to Robert, I think you made the right decision, number one. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is your kids might tell you they hate you uh, at some point, but they won't. They really love you. So we're so thankful for that. Let me welcome the, get my sheet out here, the Dupree family. Did I say it right? I, I like struggled through. You guys are from South Africa. And uh, so close enough, hopefully, and hopefully I got all the kids' names right as well. So DeWalt and Narette, did I say that right? And three awesome, beautiful children. Now you probably get, once you say them for me as in order of age, like oldest to smallest. Okay, so we've got I Isaac. Isaac. Do you say Isaac or Isaac? Isaac. I like that. That's beautiful. What? And Caleb. And you're six? Wow, you're going to be driving soon. Hey, buddy. Then we've got Ezra. 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 How old is he? He's uh, nine months. Well, almost nine. So Isaac, Caleb, and Ezra. So, uh, guys, I went online. I'm, I'm brilliant. I know how Google works. I went online, and I want to tell you guys what these names mean, because if you didn't recognize, these are all Bible names. And I love it when uh, families come up and we can uh, share the meaning of names. Isaac is one who rejoices. And God gives us a lot to rejoice in all the time, doesn't he, Isaac? Yes. And Caleb means faithful, wholehearted, bold, and brave. Wow, those are some big words, aren't they? Is God, is God able to make you bold and brave? Absolutely. And Ezra, his name means help or helper. And Ezra, we're going to pray that you become God's helper for your whole life. <laughs> he said, give me my hand back. Can you give me five? Oh, that's sweet. Isn't that sweet? Well, church, I want to read a passage of scripture to all of us, not only to the, the family here, the Dupree's family, but um, to all of us, because as they bring their children and they indicate that they're dedicating these kids to the Lord, that you're dedicating your lives to raise them in God's admonition, uh, to seek to fill them up with God's word, to ask the spirit of God to draw them to himself. We too, as a church body, we play a very vital role in the process of helping families disciple and raise their children in God's admonition. Uh, there's a passage in scripture, it's uh, traditionally known as the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this is the command of God to Israel on how to walk wisely and how to raise and instruct your children as such. In verse 4 it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, listen to this, parents and church family. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you shall, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. That's a lot of instruction from the Lord straight to us as parents and families on how we're to instruct and raise our children. And, and, and when are we to do those things? The passage is pretty all-inclusive. When we, when we rise up in the morning, we're supposed to say our prayers to the Lord and thank Him for life, right guys? And when we sit down to share our meals together, we're to pray and thank God for what he's provided, right? 
And then when we lay our heads down at night, we are to give God thanks for his grace and his goodness. And even along the way during the day, we are to talk about the Lord and his ways and his commands to our children and to our families so that we can't hide his word in our heart. Do you know what happens, the scripture says, when we hide our words, his words in our heart? We might not sin against him. Amen? So church family, let me ask you a question. And if you agree, we're going to corporately say we will. Do we agree to pray for this family, to encourage them, to help them, and to come alongside them every opportunity as they raise their children in admonition? Will we do that, church? And let me ask you two uh, parents, will you, with all your heart, as empowered by the Holy Spirit, as instructed through the word, strive to raise your kids in God's admonition? Amen. Church, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we commit these children to the Lord. Father, we come to you this morning. We come in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your powerful holy word that teaches and instructs us, that gives us challenge and command and how to live righteously and how to raise our children. Lord Jesus, I pray for these sweet, precious three boys that you have blessed this family with. Father, I pray that you will just give them grace and mercy and peace and love for you and for your word. Lord Jesus, as we lay our hands on them, Father, we ask that your spirit would continue to work in their hearts and continue to draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray for uh, DeWalt and Norette, Lord Jesus. Would you give them wisdom from heaven as they, as they speak to their children about the love of the Lord, as they instruct them in your word? And God, would you bless them and uh, multiply their efforts and their prayers uh, so that, Father, this family will continue to demonstrate that they love you and that they are founded based on your purposes for their lifetime. Lord, would you uh, protect these boys until the day that you call them to be your own and you rescue them and they call out to you for salvation and may they find their meaning and their purpose in life through you and you alone. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, let's give them a hand. We love you guys. We're so excited about all God's doing in your life. And Angela has a gift for you guys, a couple of really cool books that you can read as a family and that you can uh, pray through and just enjoy as a family and learn as parents. So thanks, guys. We appreciate y'all. Let's give them one more hand. Well, if you have your Bibles today, I hope you do, or a Bible app, would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews this morning? We're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I love this passage of scripture. I love this book, and this passage comes at a, a really cool time that we get to encourage families as they commit to raise their children in God's admonition, as we get to encourage you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, that part didn't apply to me because I don't have kids yet. Well, guess what? Maybe one day God will bless you with children. Or you need to consider that regardless if you have children or not now, you have people, you have young people looking up to you. Uh, maybe you're a grandparent and you feel like, man, I don't have anything to give because I just messed it up big time as a parent. So I have no credibility or authority. That's Satan telling lies straight into your ear. And you need to just not listen to that and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And you need to thank God for his grace and mercy to start fresh and new, whether you're a parent of a teenager or a child or you're not yet a parent or now you're a grandparent and you wish you would have done things differently. 
The scripture reminds us time and time again to forget what is behind us and press on to what is ahead. Claim the promise in Jesus' name that his mercies are new every single morning. Amen? So, in Hebrews chapter 10, we've entitled this message, Love and Good Works together as a family. I started out, as a matter of fact, um, if you paid really close attention in the email this week or our Facebook page, uh, at the beginning of the week, the title was Love and Good Deeds, but I like the word that's translated through ESV, uh, works. So I changed it, and I changed it on the slides, and so I'm the one with the microphone. I guess I get that prerogative. So forgive me, love and good works, and we're going to talk about why here in a little while. So we're going to read just a few verses, but I want to I give the premise of what verses 24 and 25 are all about, all about love and good works, as the title already gives away, that we can together be better at. But, but first, why and how are we able to even conceive and think about achieving a life of love and good works? And it all begins with the gospel. You see, we have nothing in and of ourselves good to offer God or to him find acceptability in his eyes of us apart from the righteousness of Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that while we were yet dead in our sins and trespasses, Jesus Christ died for us. The, the beginning of the, the, the section actually starts in verse 19, and the, the word in this section begins, therefore. And so you always have to ask yourself, when you see that word, what is this, what is this therefore? Well, it's, it's all built on the preceding verses. It talks about how since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him with the true heart in full assurance of faith. You see, church, we're not going to be able to achieve the title of the message this morning if first we don't understand that apart from access to the throne room of grace through Jesus Christ, we have no opportunity to find hope or help in time of need, much less even consider living a life of love and good works. You and I, we we all have the same problem. It's inherent in human nature. It's in it's in our the DNA of our soul, this thing called sin. I, I was born a sinner. I, even though I grew up in church, like many of you have brought your children to church since day one, I, me the same. I knew all the songs. I knew a lot of the verses. Jesus loves me, this I know. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. I thought I was a good kid based on my status and position in church. But even as a young man, I was a liar, a thief, and a, and a, and a cheat. I'd lie to my parents sometimes. I would cheat, playing games, whatever. And at the ball field, uh, one year before I was saved, I stole a candy bar from the concession stand. And the Bible tells us for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But when you discover that Jesus has already paid the price for your sin, that God can't allow any sin into heaven but through Christ, you can be made clean and whole and you can enter into the Holy of Holies, this place called the throne room of God's grace. Now... 
you have the opportunity to enjoy and experience the glory of God forever. Maybe that needs to be your starting point today. Maybe today you'd say, God, I didn't know that I was a sinner from birth. I didn't know that you won't let any sin into heaven. I thought I was a good person. But the Bible actually tells us there's none good, not one. So maybe today needs to be the day that you place your faith and trust in Jesus, his finished work on the cross. He completed the work when he, when he took our sin and our shame, the punishment that we deserved, on his body, and he died, he was laid into a tomb, and then God rose him again from the dead. The power of God overcame sin and death. So I want us to pray for just a second before we go into this message, and maybe you need to ask for that kind of forgiveness and grace. God, thank you for your amazing love for us. Jesus, thank you for taking the penalty that we deserved upon yourself. Now, church, if you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I walked in, I thought I was a good person, and I thought because of that, God loved me and that God would save me. But now you've realized that you need a personal relationship with Jesus. I just want to invite you, if that's you and you believe that Jesus did this for you, just from your heart to, to God, tell Jesus that you love him. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for what you've done on the cross for me. Ask him to come and make his home in your heart to wash away all your sins. Tell him your, your faith and trust is now in him and him alone. And just tell him you want to love him and, and you want to become the person that he's created you to be. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love, your amazing grace. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So now, if that's you and you place your faith and trust in Christ, starting in verse 23, 24, and 25, we have the potential to live out the life that God's created in advance for us to, to live. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised, that's Jesus, is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we have just finished up a series on on the family and on relationships, and, and this is the, the final message. It comes at a perfect time with a baby dedication and a week of thanksgiving that we can thank God for who he is and what he's done for us, and that now through faith in Christ Jesus, we have the opportunity to see these things come true, to be lived out in our life. This passage, verse 24, starts out, and let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. That phrase, that word consider means literally to observe fully, to perceive, or to discover. You see, these things don't come easy, and they don't come naturally. The first point in our outline, it takes time and effort for these things to, to happen in our life. Let us consider it takes time to get to know someone, doesn't it? I can remember when Christy and I first met, uh, it was at a, a student camp. I was a, I was a youth pastor, and she was a, a camp counselor, 
And I got there and shepherded my kids into a week, hopefully, of spiritual growth and development, excited about all God was going to do in them. And God started something in me. I saw that woman, and I was like, wow, she's hot. <laughs> I, I admit, it started out freshly, but God started a, a spark that turned in from, from, from like into love. And over a, a series of weeks and months and months, we began to get to know each other. And, you know, in the beginning, it's a little, you know, it's a little tentative and you're nervous. You want to make a good impression. I'll never forget the very first time I went over to her house to meet her mom and dad. She has a younger sister and a a, a brother several years younger than her. And, you know, I was, uh, had my shirt tucked in, my belt fastened, no sag drawers, you know, uh, making a good impression to her Baptist pastor dad. And, Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, and I wanted to make a good impression on the siblings as well, because, you know, if, if the sister and little brother don't like you, you probably don't have much good chance, you know. So I'm playing Nintendo 64 or whatever it was back then, 2600, with her little brother, and, uh, and we're playing, and I let him beat me in a game. And then I decide, you know what? He doesn't have a brother. He doesn't have a guy that he can just do, you know, fun guy stuff. And so we just started, like, wrestling around and, you know, having fun. He was, like, fifth or sixth grader. I was uh, 20, something like that. And, uh, you know, we're just messing around. And I get a little carried away thinking that we're both enjoying it, that he thinks I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I give the kid a wedgie. <laughs> and he starts crying. <laughs> And he runs to his mom and dad, <laughs> crying that I just gave him a wedgie. Now, I think, oh, I've ruined it. You know, I'm never going to get uh, the door open back up to come and visit this family. And by God's grace, they, they, they let that one slide. And I, I got, you know, I got into the family. But us, you know, getting to know each other and learning the ins and outs of each, it's still happening. It takes time. Every single day in your relationship to the Lord, it takes time. It takes effort. You must consider these things. How do you do that? Through time in the Word with God, discovering who He is. Every single day, something new and new insights that the Spirit of God enlightens you with. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God, the 100% Holy Spirit inside of you, ready to be unleashed, to empower you, and to give you all that God wants you to have, to become all that he has created you to be. So we are to consider how to, next phrase, stir up one another to love and good deeds. That, that phrase, stir up, I want to stop for just a second. Um, you know, that's a that's an interesting phrase that brings about, you know, images of cooking, right? Sometimes maybe you're making brownies. Kids, you, you, you like making brownies at home, right? The, the, it's super easy, you know. Who needs from scratch? Just Betty Crocker makes it easy. You just rip the box over, rip the plastic over, pour it in, put a little water, put a little oil maybe, whatever, it you know, and then just stir it up. But you can't stop until you get out all the, the lumps. That's exactly right. It takes, takes a little work. It takes a little effort. It takes friction, right? It actually takes uh, beating down on the the batter for it to become smooth and not lumpy. 
to be good when it's finally baked. And that's the exact connotation when Scripture tells us that we are to stir up one another. It literally means to incite or contention for the good. Now, how many people like uh, conflict in here? There are a few in every crowd. See, we, I mean, we have, you know, usually HR people are the ones that like conflict. Are you in HR? <laughs> he is. Uh, okay, I'm, I knew he was in HR. I, 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 that's a little, I'm stretching that one. But, right, you got to be willing and able to have difficult conversations to be in HR, right? Because you're doing all the hiring and all the firing and a lot of the correction and all that type thing. That's the exact connotation we see in Scripture. We need to be willing to incite or for there to be stirred up contention for the good. Scripture oftentimes calls that accountability, that you need people in your life holding you accountable. Hey, man, that, that's not your best right there. I'm not, I'm, I don't think you really gave it all for God when you did that. Or, man, I don't, do, you, do you really think that's how um, Jesus would have you speak in that situation? I wouldn't let just anybody speak into my life on that level. But I need people in my life that are willing to just get in and mix it up and stir it up with holy contention so that I can consider the things of God and how to stir other people to love and good works. The second thing in your outline, not only does it take time and effort, but number two, it's about me and others. It's about me and others. We come to these passages of Scripture, maybe not you, I mean, y'all probably don't even think this way, but when I come to passages of Scripture like this, I like to reflect and I like to focus on the others part. Yeah, he really needs to live a life of love and good deeds, you know. Man, she's got, she's got some work to get on that, you know, on the love part. She isn't showing too much love right now. But if you'll just notice in this passage of Scripture, the challenge is one another, right? It's mutual in its not only benefit, but also in the, in the work and the prep that it takes to get there. You challenge and hold me accountable. I challenge and hold you accountable. We incite each other to goodness and godliness. Do you hear in that phrase that it's not always pleasant to stir up one another? How many people like it if you're married? How many people like it when your spouse points out uh, errors or weaknesses in your character or in your behavior? None of us, do we? It's not very fun. And Satan likes to use those times to say, man, she doesn't love you. Who is she to say those things to you? But in all actuality, what that is in the body of Christ, in a, in a Christian marriage, that's a person that loves and is willing to incite for the sake of goodness and righteousness and holiness. And remember, it's only possible because we collided our sinful nature our selfish, sinful human nature collided with the gospel. It collided with, with the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And now that we can experience the righteousness of Christ. And so we incite each other on. Reminds me, several years ago, there was a guy named Ben Carr at Fellowship Community Church. He was our North Campus pastor. 
and I was on staff here, and a bunch of the pastors got together and decided, we're going to do a Spartan race. We were going to, uh, several years back, we were going to drive down to Charlotte, and we are going to do a Spartan sprint. Not the beast, not, the, not the, the big stuff, but, you know, three and a half miles, enough for me, um, 20 or so uh, event challenges and things of that nature, uh, test your strength and all that stuff, agility. So we started working out, we started running, we started carrying buckets of rocks up and down hills, we started lifting weights, and um, Ben had this thing, right before he was going to do a, a big bench press or something, he would jump up, he would rip his shirt off, and he'd come up to one of us, he'd say, slap me! And the first time he did that, Pastor Ken looked at him like, what? He's like, slap me, Ken! Ken's like, I'm not going to slap you. He's like, no, you got to slap me and bring out the best. I'll be all jacked up if you slap me. So Ken put a little slap across his face. He's like, harder. So Ken slapped him a little harder, and Ben jumped down and pitch pressed that thing. And we named our team All Jacked Up. It was jacked up, let me tell you. I think I broke my foot on that race. It was, it was jacked up. It's silly and as stupid as telling somebody to slap you. In this passage of scripture, God is telling us that it takes time and effort as we consider this aspect of holiness to stir up one another, to incite one another, to bring godly contention for the good of the gospel and for our holiness and righteousness, to bring that into the mix and use it to stir each other up for love and good works. As a matter of fact, I think God told us somewhere in his word that for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what, church? Good works. And not just any old good works, not just random good works, but that he prepared in advance for us to do. And why are we able to do good works We're a bunch of wicked sinners apart from the righteousness and holiness from Christ. And when we collided, when when the gospel intercepted us and we believed and we placed our faith and trust in Christ, God placed his righteousness and his holiness on us and no longer sees our sinfulness and our filth, but sees the righteousness of Christ. And that allows us to bring some righteousness of God into the mix to stir each other up and incite each other to love and good works. So that's number three. Here's the goal. A is love. We want to stir each other up in love. This word love, you might have heard it. In the Greek, the word is agape. Agape, love. There's so many words for love. In the English language, we just have one word. Man, I love pizza. I love, um, I love Mexican food. And I love my wife, too, you know? That's kind of weird, isn't it, to say, man, I love Mexican food and my wife. Um, in Greek, there's five words that uh, mean different aspects of love. There's erotic love. There's brotherly love. There's the love between brothers, between sisters in the body of Christ, a unity love, a striving to stir each other up to goodness and holiness for the sake of the gospel love. And that love is agape love. And that's the love that God is calling us to incite in each other, to stir up in each other. And it's a, it's a me 
and it's a you effort. It takes us all working together in harmony with the Holy Spirit, with the working out of his word in our life. And that in itself, of itself is very difficult because there are aspects of the Bible that I don't really like, just to be honest with you. You know, have you ever come across stuff that you read in Scripture and you're like, man, I wish it didn't say that? Because it's, it's hard. And because it doesn't, it, 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 it's not how I want to live. It's not what, how I want to use my resources, you know, that I'm the steward of God's resources and I'm supposed to use those resources for God's glory. I want to use them for me. Anybody with me? I want to use my resources for me. That's my, that's my flesh preference, my flesh nature. But when God gets a hold of a life and he, gives, he makes us a new creation, the old has passed away and the new has come. That's, by the way, that's what baptism symbolizes, a new life, a new resurrection in Christ. Now he makes it possible for us to stir and incite each other up to agape each other. To love each other the way Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So the goal is A, love, and B, good works. Don't really have to describe that word probably, but that word uh, works. It literally is translated toil or labor, right? Um, I like the kind of good deeds that I can pay for sometimes right? Uh, hey, we're having a, um, uh, a little fundraiser. Can you, uh, can you help? Sure, here's five bucks. Well, actually, what we needed was, could you come and volunteer on Friday night to prep and get the kitchen cleaned up and cook uh, meals so that Saturday morning we can feed the less fortunate and people are struggling and we can feed the first responders and things of that nature. So could you like donate Friday night and, and most of Saturday? Uh, $5 sounded a lot better to me. You ever been there? We're busy, right? We got stuff to do, people to see, places to go, things that, that are laboring for our time and for our attention and for our heart. But this agape love, it's a selfless love. Love and good deeds to whom? To each other in the body of Christ, but also to a world that's hurting, that is separated from the love of Jesus, that is lost, and that needs the good news of Jesus Christ and hope and the help that it finds. One of our former missions pastors, Bill Fuller, if you've been here, he's been gone about three years or so, maybe more than that now. Love Bill Fuller. He works for another missions organization now. But Bill Fuller coined this phrase. He might have got it from somewhere else. I have no idea. But uh, coined a phrase during our, our missions conference that we have every year called The Rock, where we celebrate the goodness of God and the missions that he allows us to be a part of. And Bill Fuller said this way, we do good deeds in order to create goodwill so that we might have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Good deeds creates goodwill to share the good news. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's what this passage is all about. That's agape love. Good deeds, goodwill, good news. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to do the announcements, and I told you, if you were here that Sunday morning in the first service, 
that I just got back from a trip to Orlando, I mean, from Atlanta. It was a church planter orientation. 200 church planters from across the country had come together to worship and to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be prayed over, uh, more training, and then sent back out to their place of service. I get to do things like that very often. God is so good to me. And while I was there, and these guys were being challenged, man, engage your city with the gospel, and people will trust Christ when you just present the gospel, those who are to come, and then you begin the process of making disciples and discipleship, which results in church planting. And I just got convicted. God told me, John, you might have planted two churches already, and you might be uh, a part of the SBC of Virginia, but you ain't sharing the gospel with people like you need to. And I just pray, God, forgive me and give me somebody to share the gospel with. Well, that afternoon, I got off the plane back over here in Roanoke. I'd left my car at Haley Toyota, and they sent the shuttle to take me. I got some just my old chain, so on the way, they took me, but the shuttle was finished uh, when I got back, so I called an Uber. Uh, well, a man named Mukhtar came uh, as my Uber driver to take me back to Haley Toyota. Um, Mukhtar, I... He was yes, no, one-word answer, very, um, very shy at first, but he told me he was from Afghanistan, and I said, oh, wow, I have a friend that lives in Iraq. I do. I have a missionary friend that lives in Iraq, and Mukhtar's face just lit up, and immediately he began to, to, to talk, and so we, in about an eight-minute car ride, had a great conversation. He had helped the armed forces in the war in Iraq, and that's how he and his wife were able to come to the United States, and now they have two young children. And But when I got out of the car, uh, God just reminded me of that prayer I had prayed just a few hours before in Atlanta, Georgia. You ever had that happen to you before? And then, and then we're in a crisis of belief, right? Now we have to decide, what are we going to do when God starts to answer a prayer that we've prayed? And so I, I, right before he drove off, I said, Mukhtar, I know you don't know me, and this might sound weird, but would you by chance be interested in having a cup of coffee or lunch sometime? I'd love to hear more of your story, your country, your experience in Iraq. And he said, sure, I would love to. And so we texted each other our numbers so that we could. Last Wednesday, a week later, I met over at Panera Bread and shared lunch together and just had a wonderful conversation. I highly doubt he has had the opportunity to be in an American home yet, but Christy and I have agreed that we want to invite their family and to come to our home to share a meal. Good deeds, goodwill, good news. It's all about Jesus. If Jesus didn't love me first, I would have no concern for Mukhtar. And I probably wouldn't have much concern for many of you unless we already know each other personally or you're part of my family. But that's what happens when the gospel intersects our life. It changes us. And now our goals are different. Our priorities are different. The way that we interact with each other is different. Love and good deeds. Number four, we get to the next verse and we discover our habits are actually a large part of choosing the way. Our habits choose the way. If you continue in the passage with me, we just dealt with verse 24. Let us consider how to stir where am I? How, let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. 
You see, there are two ways that we can live and two positions that we can be in. We can be in a position of discouragement. And that's the first way. Letter A, the way of discouragement. And the other way is the way of encouragement. Let's talk about the way of discouragement. The scripture describes uh, some as giving up the habit of meeting together. What's that talking about? It's talking about believers forsaking the Sabbath. It's talking about believers forsaking the, the assembly of the believers in worship, in prayer, in Bible study together. Scripture's telling us that we need those things. We need those things for God to do a work in us. We need those things for God to to keep us from a spirit of discouragement to encouragement. We need those because every single one of you and me in this room have different giftedness, spiritual gifts given to us at the point of salvation through the Holy Spirit. It's this divine cosmic explosion of potential that God imparts upon us when we place our faith and trust in him. Now, they're not automatically activated and 100% functional. We, that's the part we have to pray through and we have to work through. But the potential is there. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. And if you fast forward to verses 14 and 15 and that same chapter, Romans 12. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Did you hear that? We all, as, as fellow believers, followers of Jesus Christ, we all have spiritual gifts that we've been given. And they're all different. And they are all, listen to this next phrase, equally important i've been given the gift of, of teaching and proclaiming god's word and god asks me he expects me to use that gift some of you have been given the gift of grace the gift of hospitality the gift of service and all these gifts are equally important and equally necessary in the body of christ but do you know what happens when some give up the meeting together it causes the body not to be whole. It causes the body of Christ not to be fully effective and completely functional as God desires. And when the body isn't fully effective, we can't do everything that God's called us to do. We can't bring maximum glory to God. That's the purpose of his church, to bring maximum glory to God and point other people to his glory as well. That's discouraging. That's the way of discouragement. So, if you consider yourself an island, self-sufficient, I don't need any help. I don't need to gather for encouragement and worship. I don't need to go to Bible study. I don't need close friends for accountability. You're isolating yourself, and you, in essence, are chopping off or prohibiting the spiritual gifts from God in your life to be used and fully effective in and through you in the body of Christ for his glory. Amen? That's not good. That's not good. But on the other hand, we've been given these things for the glory of God 
And that's the way of encouragement when we recognize and we use those things. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, it answers the question, why did God gift the body of Christ in this way? Verse 25 says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, isn't it? Guys, the world is full of critics, of people that want to point out our failures, that want to gain prestige and praise from other people's misfortune. But not so in the body of Christ. We're here to rejoice in the goodness of God with each other. And we're here to pray and to weep and to mourn and to carry and encourage each other in the difficult days as the body of Christ. So Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let's read it one more time together, church. Follow along in your copy. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is that? Well, church, if you haven't heard, there's a good day coming. And it's going to manifest itself in one or two ways. Either you and I, one day we're going to breathe our very last breath here in this world. But we shall not die. We shall yet live in the glory of God forever. Those are for all who have, have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the other that I'm praying for happens soon. One day a trumpet's going to sound and the clouds are going to part. And Jesus Christ, clothed in all his splendor of glory, is going to come back. And the dead in Christ shall rise, and we in Christ will join them in the clouds. To glory in his presence forever, and to worship our King and our Savior. The day is drawing near. So church, we have no time to waste. May we trust him with all our hearts. May we embrace the word of God and the call of God and the leading of the spirit of God in our lives. And may we continually consider how we can stir each other up to love and good deeds. And you know what a beautiful byproduct that is? Scripture says, talking about the world, those that don't know him yet, it says they will know we are Christians by our love for each other. Amen? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close in prayer, and Pastor Allen has um, begun this uh, practice for the last few weeks of, of some corporate prayer in, in groups. If you didn't come with anybody, that's okay. Um, you can just pray between you and God. But maybe you came with your family, maybe you came with your spouse, or maybe you're sitting with some people in your small group Bible study or just your, your friend group. 
And I want to just uh, challenge you this morning to take turns for just a minute or two and, and, and say a prayer over each other, a prayer of love and a prayer of encouragement. Maybe it would sound like this, God, I thank you for whoever the person is because, and then you can pray a word of encouragement because they are so gracious in the way they live and love other people. I don't know about you, but that would stir me up to love and good works, being encouraged by someone else. Or maybe you have something you need to confess to, to one another and to God and to repent of. Whatever God's calling you to do, let's, let's let this time, over just the next minute, be our time before God's throne that we pour out our heart to Him and we encourage each other. Would you pray together?